This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture, and our topic today is strategic planning in the church. And I have with me uh, someone who's been a friend for a long time. We were seminary colleagues, Aubrey Malfers. And so uh, we'll probably drop the formal uh, designations of Dr. Malfers and Dr. Bach because we've been Aubrey and Daryl for years. And so, uh, Aubrey, I'm really glad you could come in and be a part of this today with us. It's good to be a part of it, Daryl. And I don't know if you recall, but we all were Greek majors, and you and Dan Wallace used to copy off my exams. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I've been learning ever since. <laughs> so uh, uh, it, it is a joy to have you in here, and it's been fun to watch what God has done in your life. Why don't you tell us? a little bit about how you managed to get to where you ended up going from being a Greek major uh, to being a strategic planner. Well, I would be what Bill Hybels refers to as a, an unchurch-type seeker, and that was really true of me. I didn't come to faith till I was in college, I was 19 or 20, mm-hmm. and uh, two guys confronted me, and eventually I came to faith in Christ, but it was at a tragic time, not a tragic, it was at a strategic time in my life. I was trying to figure out, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And uh, when I came to faith, it was, I know where I'm going from here on out. So mm-hmm. uh, finished at the University of Florida, got married, had to go off and do some time with Uncle Sam, did that. But my dream and uh, some of that was to come to Dallas Seminary because I'd been influenced by Dallas Seminary grads like so many other people. Right. And uh, it was seven years before we made it here. I taught school for seven years, planted a church. And you never shed the commitment to the Gators, I noticed that. That's right. I I have a tattoo, a Gator tattoo (laughs) on my shoulder. And uh, anyway, uh, it's been exciting to be here at Dallas. I've been here now 32 years. Mm -hmm. I'm the same length. Uh, Did... uh, um, and how did, what happened after you got got out of seminary? How did you end up end up in strategic planning? Well, when I got out of seminary, uh, I decided to go on into the PhD program because mm-hmm. I felt that if we leave, then we will uh, not come back. And so Dallas Bible College hired me, and I went on for the PhD, and it worked beautifully. Then I uh, came back to the seminary, and they hired me. And I was in field education, internships, that type of thing, which I really enjoyed. But I had not discovered my passion in Mm -hmm. life, what I really want to do with my life. Here I was, a Ph.D. on faculty. And uh, two of our graduates came on campus one day at a brown bag, and they challenged me in this area. One of my students in church planting challenged me to listen to a fellow named Rick Warren, some kind of saddleback church out there somewhere. Saddleback. Saddleback. I go out there when I speak, and I say, I like this church. It has a name a Texan understands. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, and it was like the whole world opened up to me, and I was just fascinated with this, and so immediately I began to pursue it, read everything I could get my hands on, and there wasn't a lot. Mm -hmm. Listen to tapes, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. 
So you've done several books in this area, and you the one we're going to focus on today is it called and that sounds like a class advanced strategic planning. I guess there's a strategic planning 101, and this is like well, 401 or something. Paul Engel said we want to get this book out there, and we want people to see it before anything else. So if we put the A in the title uh-huh. as an advanced. They will. It will bump ahead of the other books on strategic planning. So, so we've got not only do we have deep content, but we've got marketing strategies. Exactly. Very much How, you can't lose. That's great. Bringing well, both those together. Well, what what we want to do is kind of uh, systematically work our way through some of the key concepts uh, in the book. This is the third edition of it. Is that yes. correct? Yes. So so you originally wrote this. It could be a bad question to ask, but you originally wrote this when? When was the first edition? That's a good question. Probably 15 years ago. Okay. All right. And and it's in the third edition now. And it's it's literally we've, – we're just in the process of releasing the third edition. Exactly. Okay. And it's done real well. Probably one of my best sellers. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, let's, let's get started. Uh, the first obvious question – and in one sense it's obvious, but I think we need to just get it out on the table. Yeah. Why plan strategically? Or maybe the best way to ask this question is um, – what does strategic planning look like versus what often happens? Yeah. Well, in a sense, most pastors will go into the church, at least it's been my experience, because they want to teach the Bible. They've fallen in love with the Savior. They've fallen in love with His Word, and they want to teach the Bible and pretty much love on people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not working very well out there, unfortunately. Teaching the Bible is and loving people, but they've missed leadership Mm -hmm. and the importance of leadership. And a part of leading a church is helping it to know where it's supposed to be going, what its mission is, uh, what its vision could be, what its core values are. And coming up with a strategy to accomplish those. And be actually being able to execute that vision. Exactly, to yeah. implement it. Probably right. the most difficult part of this, Daryl, is the implementation side. And right. I have a consulting group. We go out and work with churches, and we found that that has been the most difficult for them, implementing that. So we have a process for implementation. Whether mm-hmm. or not they follow it is up to them. So you can have a marvelous plan with all the right goals, et cetera, but if you have no clue how to actually get from point one to point two to point three, then you're in deep trouble. Exactly. And you can know how and still not doing it because uh, it's like a rubber band. While we're with them, we stretch them. Mm -hmm. But once we're gone, then the rubber band begins to relax a little bit. So it's up to the pastor and the leadership to make sure that they move ahead with this. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of that is accountability. We ask them to meet monthly and have their team leaders who are working on the implementation of the process. Uh, to report as to how they're doing. Yeah, and the difficult part of this that struck me in reading the book was was you're dealing every every location is unique. Every team, strategic leading team, is unique. Exactly. And you're dealing with multiple personalities and yeah. mixes, and in some cases, sociologies that have been established about how these people have interacted with each other long before the team starts to do strategic yeah. planning. Families. Yeah, they're family they're families in a in a in a corporate sense, if I yeah. can say it that yeah. way. Yeah. And and all those dynamics make the management of not just the execution of the plan, but the encouragement of the group to move ahead with the plan, uh, two aspects, two almost essential aspects to making it work. Yeah. Well, one of the things we do going in is we have them do a ministry analysis. And a lot of the churches that we work with are usually 
used to be 300 and above. Now we have some down around 100 that are bringing us in regardless. Hmm. And what we will do is an analysis to see how they're doing, and most of them are not doing very well. Mm -hmm. And we can actually, we look at the decline in attendance, worship attendance, and we can come up with a percentage of decline so that we can predict if they continue to decline at their current rate, and if they don't do something to intervene, they will have to close the front doors in three or four years. Yeah. And that gets their attention. Yeah, that does get their attention. So, so the, the and the and the cur there's a curve about the life of a church unless it, it it renews and plans, and that is, you you get its establishment, assuming that it that it does take hold, yes. and it goes up, and then it then there's kind of this plateau level, which I imagine is a tricky level because when I think about even the one of the churches that I'm very involved with, that I would say that that church has been plateaued for a very long time. We haven't really. We haven't gotten over the plateau. We aren't sliding down. We yeah. we aren't we aren't we aren't skiing yet. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but we're we're sitting here kind of at hold. We're not going up. We're not going down. Uh, but most churches will get here and then they'll begin the slide. And unless exactly. they do something, they're headed they're headed towards closure. Well, you may you may have enough people coming in through the front door to offset those going out the back door. That's right. And so you stay at that plateau. But you and it may be the same group. Or it could be a whole new group eventually. Right. But uh, another sign to here is the aging of the existing group. Right. That's another thing we very much have been yeah. dealing with. So yeah. um, they're, they're getting older. That's right. And they're not getting any younger. And we're losing too many of our young people right now. The statistic that I heard was something like 16 to 29 percent of our young Christians, young people, 20 to 30 years old, are leaving the church. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's it's actually a topic for its own podcast. Yes. I mean, it's uh, it's a major, major concern, and I think we we sometimes set ourselves up to do that. By the way, when the one of the things that I see, and you can tell me if 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 I'm spotting something that's actually a trend, is as a church grows older and as it keeps the forms that that age group identifies with as it moves up, the danger is you lose this group at the bottom because they don't connect with how, if I can just say it, with how you do church. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting, uh, back when texting came on strong, I got a, a, a little tape on that showing a lot of young people texting, and I would show it to a mostly older group, and, and they had no idea, they had no clue yeah. as to what was going on there. And I said, "This is these are the people that are in your church, and uh, how are you going to reach them? Are you reaching them? You don't even have a clue what they're doing. And yeah. most people, I'd say, you're right. Yeah. And I said, that's how far you are, off you are from this culture. Well, and, and uh, this is actually also another com conversation, but the whole role about how technology impacts itself in relationships is different between generations. Huge. And, and uh, I tell – I'm on boards. An iPhone? What's an iPhone? Yeah, exactly. I'm on boards where I tell people, you can't assess how you experience technology with someone who's grown up with it all their life. Yeah. You know, that we came into technology, we learned it on the fly, so to speak. Yeah. But my kids have grown up with technology from the get-go, and my grandkids really have grown up with it from the get-go. My two-year-old granddaughter now has her own little iPhone. Yeah. Well. computer. <laughs> Two years old. Well, AT&T is really glad to hear that. <laughs> Can we talk about grandkids exactly. now? I've been waiting for that. <laughs> so, well, we, we're, we've sort of set the table. So you're in a church, and you, you, you sense that um, – 
something needs to be done, that you're either level or you're on the way down and what you're doing uh, isn't connecting. And, you, and, and good leadership senses that. They sense it when it happens. So how do, you, how do you enter into the process of strategic planning and who are the key players, generally speaking? The key players are usually the pastor. And here again, I have to fall back on my experience with the Malfers Group, our consultant group. Usually the first person that we hear from is the pastor. And we will usually ask them, how did you hear about us? And they will have read a book, mm-hmm. uh, maybe the strategic planning book, and they'll comment on that and they say, we sure could use your help. Would you come do that with us? And that's almost how we got started as a consulting group. People started calling as a result of uh, the printed word, the books. Mm-hmm. And so we like to talk to the pastor and we try to get a little assessment of what's going on. And then they want to know what we do and so we explain the program to them. And they already know that they need to do strategic planning because basically we live in strategic times. We need to be able to think and act strategically. And this really isn't anything new because I think uh, we see leadership in the New Testament leading strategically. Mm-hmm. Certainly the Savior did when he gave us the mission for right. the church. We've got Paul and the missionary journeys. And uh, when you and I graduated, there was uh, a gentleman with us, I cannot recall his name, but he went on the mission field and he did his thesis on the missionary journeys of Paul and the strategy behind him, why he went where he did when he did it. Hmm. And it was all strategic. Paul wasn't just out taking a walk. Right, right. It, it was, he, he had thought through what he was doing. And so uh, that, 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 I, the same thing holds today, I think. We, we live in strategic times, perhaps worse than in a long time, where we see our churches dying, our pastors getting discouraged and, and walking away from the church. And so we need to think strategically if we're going to begin to see this thing turn around. So the pastor's a key player. I would assume that uh, most churches have some type of a board or deacons or something like that. I'm assuming that they're also an important level uh, of uh, a player in terms of of building the strategic plan, planning uh, leadership team. Just agreeing to do it. Yeah. First of all, we, we have what we call a, a process that we take churches through, but we talk about preparation for the process. If you don't prepare, it's not going to happen more than likely. It's sort of like football teams and sports teams that they get out there and they have a, a build-up period of time in which they're preparing before they start the season. And we say the church has to do the same thing. And the very first step in that prep process is to find out where the power people in our church are on this. Because if they don't vote for it, it won't happen. So we could use two metaphors here. The book uses the metaphor of navigating a ship through waters. Um, the other metaphor, I think, is is kind of the, your spring training metaphor. You're really planning for the season that's ahead. Exactly. And if you don't plan, you're going to get tripped up. But we found, in general, the, I might comment on the power sources there. Usually the pastor may be the power source. It could be a patriarch, mm-hmm. and even in some cases a matriarch that may run the church. Right. could be a family. Uh, could be board members. So I ask them, I say, uh, will these people support what we're doing? And if they won't, then it's not time yet. Yeah, yeah, you have to bring them on board. Okay, so we've got the, uh, the, the, the structure of the way the book proceeds is to deal with the need for uh, strategic planning, talking about what that is, and the building of this, this team that meets. But the core of what I want to discuss are some of the central things that these – these uh, teams do in ter- what they think about and what they what they wrestle with and the categories that you talk about are mission, vision, 
values and then the strategic plan itself, the strategy. Yes, exactly. So I, I want to go through these one at a time. That's really what we're going to spend our, our core amount of time on. And I want to start on mission, because obviously that's important. I'm sure most people have walked into, um, I, I think of places like Chick-fil-A and that kind of those kinds of places where they walk in, and, and the corporate mission statement is there in the stores. Yes. I mean, you, you see it, 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 it's very, very visible. But the interesting thing is, what I found fascinating about the chapter was your distinction between mission and purpose. Yeah. And uh, that many people confuse those two things. So let's let's talk about that difference a little bit. What's the difference between mission and purpose? Well, you seem to, if you remember, every time I see you, I keep saying, clarity, clarity, what is your definition of this? <laughs> and so I think we have to define mission and purpose. Interestingly enough, the business world in generally does not distinguish between these two. They make them one. But I think our theolo- theology says there is a difference between the two. We have a mission. Christ has given us that mission. It's the Great Commission, and then we have to figure out what the Great Commission is. But that is our mission. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. I see purpose as why we're doing that. Mm-hmm. And so for the church, I'm uh, I'm going to punt here, but I, I would say it's the glory of God uh-huh. is is the purpose for why we're doing what we're doing, ultimately to, glor- to glorify God. And of course, we being dispensationalists, that would be a big point for us. Mm-hmm. Now, w- what is the glory of God? That's what I'm punting on right now. Okay. We don't have the rest of our time to talk <laughs> no, about that. No, that's a whole other podcast. But, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll talk about God's honor later. <laughs> but that's, that's, I, I see that as the difference. What are we supposed to be doing and why are we doing it? This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Okay, so most churches, if you look at their mission statements, they understand that they're fundamentally involved in probably I'm, – I'm going to oversimplify this a little bit – but they're fundamentally involved in two things. They're fundamentally involved in growing believers to maturity on the one end, and they're supposed to be involved in what we would call mission in its formal sense, which is outreach, bringing people into mm-hmm. the church who don't have a relationship with God, what we some, sometimes call evangelism. Those are the two, yeah. Yeah. two biggies. Uh, Fair? Yeah, I, I would say that the, the mission of the church is evangelism and edification. I see it as both. To mm-hmm. see people come to faith and then to move those people on in their faith with maturity right. is the goal. That's right. Okay, so that's the goal. But so, so, we, so as we think about those two things, one of the things that happens to churches, I think, that gets them off track, if I can say it that way, is sometimes they'll major in one or the other, and they don't have both working together in any kind of uh, symphonic way, if I can say it that way. Uh, that's one way in which, I mean, some churches probably maybe not to do either very well, but <laughs> that, that's really Then trouble. we are in trouble. trouble. yeah. Edification usually wins the day. Yeah. It's easier. I don't have to go out and risk being bludgeoned emotionally by someone by asking them uh, to accept the Savior. So uh, in our experience today, again, we work with churches from coast to coast and border to border, mm-hmm. and we're finding that evangelism is a value 
is dying. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. And I think it, there, there are many factors that cause a church to, in effect, to turn inward. Um, and part of it is their own sense about uh, – oftentimes it's a sense about where society is as a whole. They yeah. try and create a, a hermetically sealed community to some degree, although you can never completely hermetically <laughs> seal it off. And you certainly can't hermetically seal it off if you're going to be engaged in the process of evangelism. But the tendency is to turn inward in such a way that you actually disconnect from the other part of your of your biblically given mission. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and so – uh, and and then any effort to go there to a person who's come in in, in an insular way, it, it gets can get characterized not as evangelism but as somehow compromising with the culture or something like that, and and so uh, so the problem then becomes how do you get these communities that have turned inward to begin to think about moving in a more outward direction and balancing their mission? Again, uh, we challenge them. We just say, look at where you are. Uh, as we walk into this church, look at who you are, look at where you are. Most of you are elderly, 60s, 70s, 80s, although 60 isn't looking all that old. Right that's now. right. But that's anyway, right. Every day. <laughs> they, they are older, they're smaller, and they're having a lot of fun. But they've noticed that they're, they're, they've lost their young people. Mm -hmm. And what I like to challenge them whenever I preach, and, and I look out and I say that uh, I look at folks and I ask them, what would you be willing to give up? What would you be willing to change to see your son and daughter sitting next to you in church this morning? And then I pause. Mm -hmm. I say, what would you be willing to give up? What would you be willing to change to see your grandkids sitting next to you in church this morning? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is they ain't. <laughs> yeah. And we give up a lot. Yeah. And I'd say that's what we're all about. We're, we want to help you there. Yeah. And then the trouble is working with the instincts that sometimes take you away from going there and helping people to see that the, sometimes it's they believe they have a biblical value in terms of a form yeah. that uh, that actually is not a biblical value. It's just a form. It's a yeah. way of delivery. Yeah. yeah. The functions are more the values and, and, and the uh, the forms are how that is delivered. So evangelism would be a function of the church, right. but there are different ways to do evangelism. Right. Right, and those, and that would be, of course, sheer forms. Okay, so so the first thing is for a church to understand its its mission and to develop that idea of mission. Let me let me give you some distinctions and, and to sell people on it, and then to come up with a mission statement that is short and simple that everybody can remember what it is. Okay, that's very so important. The, so the goal is to get, the way you get everybody on the same page is to have. A, a clean statement of who you are and exactly. what you're about. Memorable, yeah. short. We say you need to be able to put it on a business card. Okay. To to present Christ as Savior, to pursue Christ as Lord. One of my students came up with that. Uh, uh, he, one of our church planters. I gave him an A for the course. But, uh, <laughs> but I thought that that, the that would be words yeah, the better yeah. to know him and to make him known. That's right. Yeah, there are all kinds mm -hmm. of that you, it, and 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 then for people to appreciate the depth of what that represents. Exactly, because yeah. it takes them a long time to arrive at that. It's, it, it ain't easy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> can I say ain't on this show? Yeah, you sure right? can. Okay. Sure can. Thank you. Uh, let me go through some distinctions in mm -hmm. here that that you talk about in relationship to mission. You talk about um, conscious and unconscious. You talk about 
personal and organizational mission. You talk about shared and unshared, correct and incorrect. That's the biblical basis, I, I take it. Yeah. And then actual and aspirational, the difference I take it between where you are and where you're going. Exactly. Um, we usually use those distinctions, too, with the values. That's where we really hit aspirational and actual hard. Okay. The values. Um, well, let's let's talk about the comparison of the of the mission and values because I think one of the value one of the values of your book is the, the is the clarity with which you are distinguishing these categories and mm-hmm. helping people to think through uh, what it is that they're doing. So let's let's talk about uh, what's the difference between vision and mission. Yeah. Well, the mission basically is is a statement of where the church is going. It's something that you would use in strategic planning, whereas the vision is a picture or snapshot of what that looks like when you get there. Okay. And and whereas the mission statement might excite you a little bit, the vision statement, the idea behind that is it should excite you so that you want to go there. Okay. The mission statement, we know where we should be going. We know what road we're on. We know what road we're on. But the vision is what gets us moving in that direction. And when you hear the vision, when it's cast, there should be a certain amount of excitement that builds up within the congregant that says, I want to be there. I, I want to go there. I want to be a part of this. So, so the can, let me try it this way. The, the, the mission statement is, a, is, in one sense, a broad statement about where you're going, Yeah. but the vision is the actual portrait of what you want to see when you as you, I'm going to say, as you're getting there, because you exactly. never completely arrive. Right. But, right. It's uh, always in progress. Exactly. So, but you're headed in a direction, and you know, if we're really doing what our mission is talking about, then we're going to see these kinds of things. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and I'll I'll tell them uh, there, there are a lot of different contents of a vision, but let me just give an example: community outreach. That's mm-hmm. really big right now in the missional church movement. Right. And so one of my questions: What will your community look like five years from now? Mm-hmm. Describe that to me. What do you want it to look like, and does that excite you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that would be one way to approach it. And when we ask a question like, "What does your community look like?" people could go, "Well, are we talking about what our church community looks like? Or are we talking about the way in which the church is impacting the larger community yeah. in which we live?" And we have to actually exactly. specify which yeah. community we're trying to impact. Yeah, and we're talking <clears throat> normally about the latter. Okay. What what this? Because uh, I, I agree with the missional church movement. I'm not, and I know you don't want to chase that one, but uh, I, I, I'm not against uh, and, and still inviting people, but I, I to church. But I, I think the missional church movement is really emphasize our need to get out into the people around us and have impact. Well, actually, I I would love to go there because I think that's part of the point of what we're talking about here, and that is, <clears throat> and that is, the a, a model for how to do your mission is you invite someone into your church to hear the pastor. Exactly. Um, but what you have in mind and what missional churches are about is actually where the people in the church initiate and actually go out. The point that I'm making is is that they're yeah. not in a church building, but they're out in the community where, exactly. where people are. Involved usually in some type of social activity, mm-hmm. feeding the poor, uh, Maybe even washing cars, young people going out washing cars for free, uh, being involved in schools, 
public schools going in and uh, painting the, the teacher's workroom, uh, cleaning up classrooms, cleaning up the grounds in the name of the church, in the name of Christ. They're, they're just a whole uh, num a, a tremendous number of, of projects that they get involved in. So let, let, let's talk about vision in, from a biblical standpoint this way. If you were to talk about the kind of direction that a vision should take, that a church should have, that 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 might help it to see that it's maybe a little too inward. Yeah. Um, uh, what would that What would that look like? And I suspect that you've worked with numerous churches who have been in that place, and you're trying to take them to another place. What 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 are you What are you encouraging them to see? Well, I'm encouraging them to take a photo or snapshot of that community and see their involvement. Now, some will already have some involvement. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm talking a little bit more about Anglo churches right now because the African-American churches have Are been missional, they've been missional 15, yeah. 20 years. Absolutely. And, and I, have to, I have to remind my Anglos of that because this is so new to Anglo churches. But, but what does it look like to go to, uh, if I understand your question, what does it look like to go into a public school and get involved there with helping kids, exactly. tutoring kids? Yep, that's what, exactly what, 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 what do you see up here in your head? When this takes place, and and I, right now I can see that taking place. Right. I have no problems at all, mm -hmm. and that's the idea to give them. And and, and to some degree, it's safe. Mm -hmm. We can go in, and nobody's going to attack us. We're not going to have to defend our faith. We're there just to build into people's lives and help them. Mm -hmm. So, so the idea here is that ministry really is a, something that doesn't happen just inside the walls of the church. Real ministry is taking place in the community and the places where the community. Uh, is and need and exactly. in some cases needs to be served by the people in the church, that's not right. the pastor only. That's, that's exactly right. By so the people whole, in the church. That's a whole other issue. Is to, is <laughs> Which, to, yeah. is to not the the tighter the ministry. How I say this? The tighter the ministry wall, the more inward the church becomes. Yes. Um, so, yes. Um, well, okay. So, so vision is helping people to see um, to see what it actually looks, or, or to imagine. I, I guess vision is kind of when you're casting vision, it's it's helping people see what could be exactly. that isn't, and also encouraging them with the reality of we can get there. Yeah. Yeah, and we want to get there. That's right. We, I, I'm excited because, I, wow, I can see myself tutoring that child. That gets me excited. I want to be there. I'm fully supportive of this. Let's go. Why, why haven't we done this before? Okay. So it's a different way of thinking about, uh, about ministry. Uh, again, you make some distinctions here. Vision's not purpose. It's not goals. It's not objectives. It's not mission. It's what the ministry looks like versus what it is doing, which exactly. I think is an interesting yes. Uh, distinction. Uh, um, so the elements of this are, just as the, the mission statement needs to be brief and concise, a vision statement you say needs to be clear, compelling, a picture, what we seek to create. So you're really – you're almost painting a, a portrait for people, aren't you? Exactly. Or, or snap – taking a snapshot. snapshot? It's a yeah. picture. I like to use that term picture in there or snapshot because mm -hmm. they really pick up on that. Mm -hmm. And so you use that as the question of what will it look like around here five years from now if we begin to value evangelism and do it. Mm -hmm. So what picture, what snapshot would you take? What do you see? Okay. So you're in this committee and you're starting and you raise these kinds of questions and, of course, you have a committee of, say – 10, 12 people. I don't know how large they normally are. It probably depends on the size of the church. Yeah. 20, 25 people max. Uh, okay. So, and you initially cast this vision. And I imagine one of the things that happens early on in a strategic planning 
thing when something like this happens is I may have 20 people and I may have 30 visions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, uh, um, because some people are schizophrenic. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, uh, so, so what's that process like of, of taking all these various snapshots that people might have and pulling them all together? What does that involve? Next to implementation, this has been one of the most difficult things for us to communicate and to, and to get across. And, and the way we're approaching this now is we have certain teams, and each team will take a portion of the strategy and, and uh, try to implement it and plan it and develop it. So for example, uh, we take the strategy, community outreach is the first point we cover. The second thing is, is making disciples. The third is uh, mobilizing our people for ministry. And we have a committee or actually a team. I didn't use the word committee, did I? <laughs> we, have a, we have a team for each one of those. Mm -hmm. And they are responsible to come up with a vision for their group. And they work on that together and they hammer that out together. So this vision that we're talking about is actually, if I can describe it this way, a corporate vision as opposed to an individual vision. This is the difference between organizational vision yeah. and individual vision. Yeah. yeah. And this is uh, and it's really interesting because in a blue-collar situation, they're used to looking to, to the pastor to come up with a vision. And, and that may we may do it that way. But in a white-collar group, they want to have their fingerprints on the vision. Mm -hmm. And so they have a part of developing it. And then guess Guess what? They're a little more uh, into supporting it when they have that involvement. In right. It. And so again, this is this is our way of thinking through this. How can we get these people to really buy in and do it and agree to do it? And that's to get them involved in it. So another thing that you're saying here is that this is, strategic advanced strategic planning or strategic planning is not the pastor saying, "Here's the plan, and this is what we're going to do, and now I'm going to enlist the hundred people who are going to make me uh, make me able to pull this off." Exactly. And, and we got those people involved in the process. And and when they're involved in the process, again, they've got their fingerprints on it. They, they want to see it happen. Mm -hmm. That's exciting to watch that take place. And I'll have them uh, write it down. I'll have each group we'll, we'll pull together and meet, and they will write it on, on poster paper, and we'll put it up around the walls and have the people read it off and talk a little bit about it. And I, I think I remember this correctly, that whereas a mission statement is usually very brief and memorable, you can put it on a business card, <clears throat> your, your vision description can be very involved and, yes. and more detailed. Is that Yes. Correct. That's an interesting observation that you make, and I had one of my students here, Matt Stone, did uh, uh, research on this for me. We were looking at the length of vision statements, mm -hmm. and what we discovered is the uh, the older generation, the boomer generation, the uh, uh, Saddlebacks, uh, the Rick Warrens, their vision statements were a little longer. If you mm -hmm. look in Rick's book. Uh, he, it's about a one-page vision statement, but mm -hmm. what seems to be ha taking place today, Andy Stanley, is that they've gone down to a one-sentence vision statement. Hmm. So what happens on the length of these things, they vary anywhere from one to two pages down to one sentence. Hmm. Andy McQuitty, uh, one of our graduates here out at Irving Bible Church, his was one page, mm -hmm. one-page vision statement. Very well done, mm -hmm. but they're, they're not as long, and uh, for, for a lot of younger people today, they seem to be shortening those. Yeah, well, that's the part of our digital age Isn't it? coming at us. Uh, uh, the people who are in the production room listening to this who are all young are sitting there going, don't go on, don't give us a shot, don't take a shot at us. Um, give them equal time. Exactly right. Well, the rebuttal's coming. Join us next week for part two of The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.
This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.